If I haven't met you before, my name is Jerry. I would love to meet you after service, so feel free to come find me up front here. Um, I know we just prayed, but I'd like to take a moment to pray and uh, just to ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us as we get into God's Word. So would you pray with me super quick? Uh, Holy Spirit, we, we, we sang about your presence earlier, and uh, it's not just that we, we need you or we, we invite you, we need you. So as we enter into uh, your word today, would you open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our thoughts to whatever it is you want to teach us. Help us not just to learn, but to apply and to live out and live our lives in such a way that people would be curious and say, hey, tell me more about that. How are you doing that? Where did you learn that? And we can say, oh, it's because I follow Jesus. This is how Jesus did it. I don't want to show you how to do it as well. So help us to be those kind of people, those kinds of followers. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So a few weeks ago, my wife, Casey, um, asked me to go to the grocery to get something for, that we needed for dinner that night. And I don't, I'm happy to do that, but what you need to know is Casey's the primary grocery, sh- grocery shopper in our home, which means she knows where everything is everywhere. Kroger, she knows. Meyer, she knows. Walmart, she knows. Aldi, she knows. I don't know. I know that there's signs posted places. I just saw somebody point to their mom like this. Yeah, my mom too, right? You get it, right? Moms are good that way. Well, I am not that way. I wander, I get in there and I'm like, okay, I can read, but I never know where anything is. I get overwhelmed by all the information and I get angry and I, it doesn't feel efficient to me. I feel like I'm in there forever. And so I've learned a life hack that I want to share with all of you. And it, the only thing it requires from you is just a little bit of humility. If you're like me and you get lost and you get angry and you get frustrated, here's what you do. You go into the store, you have a picture of the thing you need or a list And you read the signs and you get close to where you think you need to be, okay? And do yourself a favor. Do a quick look around and see if you can find it. If you can find it, bonus point for you. But if you can't, there's one of two people you look for. You look for somebody that works there or you look for somebody like my wife who's like a professional shopper. And you're like, you know what you're doing. And then you say, hey, I'm looking for this thing. Can you you show me? Now, my experience has been like, I'm making these statistics up, but 98% of the time, people are like, I'm happy. I'm happy to help. But it also helps if you look like you're a little lost and you're a little panicked. Like, hey, my wife sent me to the grocery. We've got kids we've got to feed. I'm looking for the, can you show me where this is? And they're like, calm down, man. I'll help you. I'll help you, okay? And so they're, they're, really, they're really willing to help. And most of the times, or I, 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 let's say, I'll say, I'm going to make this up again, but 90% of the time, this is how that goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help. And then they turn, and they reach out their hand, and right at eye level, they're like, is this this thing? I'm like, yes, that's, that's what I need. And I've learned to just say the same thing. My wife tells me I don't look for things. I guess she's right. And we both laugh very awkwardly. I know they're blessing my heart. I bless my heart, and I move on. And you know where I go? I go to the next aisle. I look for the next professional shopper because I want to get in. I want to get out. I don't want to be, I don't want to be angry. Now, I just turned 46 a week ago, and, and I'm, I'm only telling you that because in my 46 years of life on this earth, I'm convinced that learning to ask for help is a very important life skill. We all need help with something. It doesn't matter how old or young you are in learning to ask for help. It might be easier for some of us more than others, but if you can learn to ask for help, it's going to make life easier. And today, I want to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus' disciples came to him, and they literally say, Jesus, help us. Will you help us with this thing? And what's really cool is the thing that they ask Jesus, the thing they're asking Jesus for help with is something that you and I could all use help with. I know I could, and I'm going to guess many of us could as well. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to follow along with us today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. 
Now, while you're turning to Luke 11, today we're wrapping up this series that we've been in for the last four weeks called Strong Start. And the purpose of this series in January hasn't been to set New Year's resolutions about great ways to start the new year. The purpose of Strong Start has been ways that we can have a strong start to the year in our relationship with God. And here's what I love about this series. We're not talking about, I mean, essentially we're talking about spiritual disciplines, but we're not talking about them in theory. We're talking about them in actuality because we're looking in the Gospels and we're finding things that Jesus did and we're saying, oh, this is how Jesus practiced solitude and silence. This is how Jesus practiced hiding God, God's word in his heart and, and, and practiced Sabbath. And so we're looking at things Jesus actually did that helped him and can help us draw close in our relationship to God. And today in Luke 11, 1, we're going to learn another practice. Let's just pick it up. 11, Luke 11, verse 1 says this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are like biographies of Jesus' life. They tell us where he went, what he did, what he was like, who he hung out with. Throughout those Gospel accounts, it's not unusual for Jesus' disciples to ask him a question. They asked lots of questions. When he taught parables, like they would, later they'd be like, hey, Jesus, can you teach us what that means? Because we don't get it, right? So they asked him lots of questions. Later in his ministry, right before he died, they were like, Jesus, can you just tell us when you're going to be the king of Israel? They asked lots of questions. But this is the only time in all four Gospels where, Jesus, where his disciples said, hey, will you teach us to do this thing? And pay attention. What did they ask him to teach him to do? To pray. They didn't say, hey, can you teach us to raise people from the dead? Or can you teach us how to heal leprosy or how to cast out demons? It wasn't that. It was Jesus, teach us to pray. And what I really think they were asking is, Jesus, can you teach us to pray the way that you pray? There must have been something different about the way that Jesus prayed. And so this teaches us something really important about prayer. Prayer isn't necessarily natural for us. You might think, well, I know some people that it seems pretty natural. Not necessarily. It's not like we just know how to do this, but it is something that can be taught and something that can be learned, which is why I think Jesus's disciples are saying, teach us to pray. Now, I want you to imagine that somebody comes to you today, later today, and they were going to ask you, hey, teach me how to pray. And some of you might pray a lot. Some of you maybe have never prayed, but if somebody asked you that question, what would you tell them? How would you respond? You had to give them an answer. I was thinking back to when we were teaching our kids to pray when they were younger, and I think uh, this is what most parents do. And you, we do it for a reason, even when we don't realize this is what we do. The first thing you teach a kid to do is, okay, well, I want you to fold your hands, and I want you to close your eyes. You know why that's a brilliant move? Because kids are spazzes. They're all over the place. They're running around. And so when you, if you say fold your hands, they're like, well, what do I do now? And close your eyes. Well, now they got to be still. So there's something about a posture, right, of engaging God. And I think Jesus' disciples, I think they got the posture thing. But now they're like, okay, Jesus, but what's, what's next? Because when you pray, everything's different. And again, the reason, here's why I think that Jesus' disciples knew this was true. Because over 30 different times in the Gospels, the Gospel writers tell us that Jesus got a way to pray. They mentioned it. Like, it was a pattern in his life. He would just find places where he would pray. And here's what I think that that tells us. Jesus didn't just make time to pray. He made prayer a priority. And I want you to think about the difference between those two things, making something a priority and making time for it. 
you can make time to eat together as a family or with friends, right? And you can say, hey, if we're going to make time to do it, I don't know when I'm going to get home from work today. It could be 6, it could be 8.30. Let's just agree that before we go to bed, we're going to eat together, right? That's making time. But making it a priority is saying, okay, dinner will be at 6 or 6.30, whenever, and we're going to stop everything that we're doing and we're going to come to the table together because it's a, it's a priority. You get this, right? Um, think about exercise. I make time to exercise. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The problem is I make the time, but I don't take the time, right? It's, it's kind of like I'll get through it if I want to, if I can, right? Instead of like putting it on the calendar and saying, this is when I'm going to do that, and, and nothing's going to move me off of that. Now, here's one that I shared with my kids, and let's see if this plays out here. You can make time to do your homework, right before you go to bed when you're really tired and you can't keep your eyes open. I see parents looking at kids right now. Or you can make it a priority by doing it before you watch your favorite show or play a video game. Does that apply for anybody? I can think of four children in my house that that applies to. They don't like that analogy, right? We, we understand when you, when you make something a priority, it's a pillar of your life. It's foundational. It's not a matter of if but when and how often. And we see Jesus making prayer a priority. Let me give you one example. Mark chapter one. We read this, verse 32. That evening, pay attention to this. After sunset, the people brought to Jesus all that were sick, all the sick and demon possessed. So he's at Simon Peter's home after dark. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. So Jesus goes to this home after dark and it's like an urgent care center. The whole town came, everybody that was sick and demon-possessed people. Now, if you were there and Jesus is healing all of these people, how long do you think that took after dark? You think it's like 15 minutes? I think it took a while. I think after dark maybe went till after midnight. And if you're Jesus or one of his disciples and you start to think, man, it's been a busy day, I'm gonna start thinking about tomorrow. Are you like me and you think, I think I wanna sleep in tomorrow. I've been wrestling with some demons. Better yet, I think I'm going to take a day off of work. Hey, guys, we're going to take a break off. We're going to take the day off tomorrow, right? Like, we, this is the way we think. Look at what Jesus does. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's what making prayer a priority looks like. He got up. And when he got up, he went to engage with his heavenly father. He went to a particular place where he prayed. And so here's a question. If that's true for Jesus, then how can we learn to make prayer a priority in our life the way that Jesus did? Now, some of you might be thinking, so does that mean I got to set like an alarm really early in the morning? Or what's that mean? Well, I don't know. I think it's probably more about the posture of your heart. And I can only tell you from my own personal experience what this has looked like. And it's changed throughout over the last, you know, 20 years as we've had kids. It used to be that I could get up early and spend an entire hour with God. And it was great. Now that I have kids, it's, it's a little different because there's people moving around the house. But I will say this ever since Christmas, remember when we handed out those little votive candles, my wife and I have gotten into a pattern on most mornings, whoever comes downstairs first, we light that candle or, or a candle. And it's a reminder of God's presence with us. And we will sit with our coffee and we don't talk to each other. Because honestly, we're not there to be with one another. We're there to be with God. It's just a way to start our day quietly with the Lord before everything in the home gets going. 
And I wish that I could tell you that there were mornings where there's this voice that says, Jerry, today is going to be awesome. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to look like this. Do this. Don't do that. It would be so nice if, if I had heard that voice. But most mornings, it's just like a normal morning. And after, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, Lord, I've been here with you. I believe you're with me. I got to get up. And in faith, I'm going to keep moving with the day. And I just trust you're going to go wherever I go next. You'll be there with me. Will you please guide me? So that's kind of how that's looking in our season of life right now. And I'm really tempted to list a bunch of things off that you can try. But most importantly, here's the most important thing that I think you and I can all, we can all do is ask the Holy Spirit. Will you teach me how to make prayer a priority the way that Jesus did? Because he's created all of us differently and uniquely, and we all have different schedules. So if we ask him, he will probably show us a way that we can begin to make prayer a priority in our life. Now, there's something else that we can learn about Jesus in his prayer life in, in Luke 11. One, look at this again. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, this is interesting because this lines up with what we just read in Mark chapter 1. Remember, he got up early, he got out of the house, and he went to a solitary pray, place where he prayed. So there's something about Jesus where he was looking for places to pray. In fact, that's, a, that's something I want you to consider. Jesus looked for good places to pray. Now, my friend Steve Wallen, he looks for good places to eat. I've learned from Steve to look for good places to eat, right? We all look for good places to eat or good places to run or whatever, right? Jesus was different than all of us. He looked for good places to pray. And when Steve Davis was here a week ago, he talked about how Jesus practiced silence and solitude. And if you haven't taken a picture of this yet, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to take a picture of this and look up these verses. Because these are all examples where Jesus got away from people to spend time alone with God. And again, since Jesus is our example, what would it look like for us to follow his example and to find specific places where we can pray. So where are some good places for you to pray? Now, one of the points that Steve made in his message that I thought was really good is, what about your commute? Some of us have longer commutes than others, but when we're driving, there's nothing wrong with listening to a podcast or listening to music, but what if you turn the music off and you just said, okay, Lord, will you, will you ride with me? Um, I was talking to Paul Mumal just this week. He uh, went to the Carmel campus for a meeting, and so it was kind of a longer morning commute for him. And he said, I, I practiced that. And he said, and it was wonderful. I was, it was calming. I got to watch the sun come up. And so just how can you apply that? A commute's a great way to do it. Maybe when the weather's nice, going on a walk. Maybe you have a place at home that's special for you. I love when the weather is warm, being out on our back porch in a hammock. I've got a chair in our front room, right? Just finding a place where you can go and be alone with the Lord. There's not a right or a wrong way to do it, but this is what Jesus did. So why wouldn't we follow his example? So Jesus made prayer a priority. He looked for good places to pray, but there's still a really big question lingering out there. I think it's what the disciples wanted to know, and I think deep down, whether we want to admit it or not, it's the question that we all have. And Okay, that's great, Jesus, but what do you say? Like, literally, how am I supposed to pray? And Jesus gave them a pattern to follow. Look at Luke 11, verses 2 through 4. And I want us to read this out loud together. Okay, so read this with me. He said to them, when you pray, say,
Now, there's another version of this prayer that's recorded in Matthew chapter 6. It's a little different, right? If you read this version, you're, you're wanting to add in some of those other words, but Jesus gives his disciples this pattern to follow. And we'll break it down in just a moment, but I want to point something out. I think this is going to be helpful for us. Isn't it encouraging to know that when Jesus' disciples said, hey, Jesus, how are we supposed to pray? He didn't look at them and say, are you kidding me? You guys don't know how to pray yet? Didn't your parents, what kind of home did you grow up in, right? He doesn't get frustrated with them. He actually gives them what they want, what they needed. And so I don't know what your prayer relationship is like, but we should find comfort in knowing that Jesus didn't shame them. It wasn't like there was this expectation, but he did show them. And so if you're feeling overwhelmed or prayer seems awkward, Jesus says, here's, here's a pattern that you can follow. And we'll, we'll break it down word by word. And the first word is an important word. What's the first word? Father. Jesus says, okay, you want to learn how to pray? Here's how I pray. When you pray, you pray, Father. Now, if you're like me and you've grown up around church your whole life, hearing Jesus refer to God as Father, you're like, no big deal, right? It was a huge deal. A massive deal, bigger than we could ever imagine because no one, no one referred to God this way. In the 39 books that make up the Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father 14 times. That's not a lot when you consider how big the Old Testament is. And in the 14 times that Father is used in the Old Testament, it's usually used in a corporate term like the nation of Israel or a group of people. So the Old Testament writers believed in the fatherhood of God, but they, they didn't use it as in like, God, you're close and you're near and you're personal. But you know what? All that changed when Jesus steps on the scene in the, in the New Testament. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that Jesus prayed to God his Father over 60 different times. He's talking about God his Father all the time. And that's not all. The Aramaic word that Jesus would use for father wasn't a formal word, not like capital F father. It was similar to the English word that you and I use for daddy with a little more reverence. So maybe a good translation would be dearest father, but that's, that's intimate. That's close and personal. In Matthew 6, when Jesus shares this prayer, he says, our father in Heaven. Now that phrase in heaven, I think, is Jesus' way of reminding us our Father, your Father, sits enthroned over all creation. So remember who he is. Now all of that's really important information, right? You'll probably remember, oh, 14 times in the Old Testament. I hope that sticks with you. But here's what I really want you to remember. Kent Hughes suggests that throughout the entire history of Israel, no one, ever prayed the way that Jesus prayed. So the fact that Jesus says, I'll teach you to pray, here's where you begin, you pray, our Father. That's revolutionary. Jesus was teaching his followers, when you pray, you don't pray to a generic God. You pray to a close, intimate, personal, heavenly Father. So I don't want you to miss this. Whether you've been praying your whole life or this is new to you, this is a really simple tweak that all of us can make in our prayer life. Instead of praying to a generic God, I want to challenge you this week to pray to your heavenly Father. Just use the word Father. If you're really bold, try Daddy. 
I know that sounds really weird, but make it personal because Jesus says he's close, he's personal, he is intimate. And then Jesus continued. He said, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed is not a word that we use very often. It means to set apart or to treat as holy. And the word hallowed could actually be translated this way. May you be given the unique reverence that your character and your nature demands as Father. I'm kind of glad Jesus just stuck with hallowed, right? Like, holy is your name. If Father is the language of affection, hallowed is the language of respect. Now, I want you to think of some of the names in our culture that we tend to think of as hallowed. What names come to mind? The first name that came to my mind, I'm not being funny when I say this, you'll probably laugh, Taylor Swift. When we hear that name, we think of certain things. We know so much about her life. We know who her boyfriend is. We know who her favorite NFL team is. We know where she's touring, right? Elon Musk, he's involved in everything. There's certain names in our world that when you hear them, you're like, oh, we just know so much about them. I think the point that Jesus is making here is you pray to your father, and he is, his name is sacred, different, unique. Remember who you're praying to. But when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, the word name doesn't necessarily mean name like Jehovah or Yahweh. Those are both sacred in their own right. But the word name here actually is referring to God's nature and his character, his entire eternal being. So we pray to God as Father. We recognize the holiness of his character. And Jesus continues, he says, your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, this phrase, your kingdom come, is referring to two different things. It's referring to a decisive time in the future that we're all looking forward to. When God's eternal kingdom is happening right here, right now, in all its perfection where sin and death are destroyed and replaced with life and peace, and we know God face to face. Let your kingdom come. But let your kingdom come also is a reminder that there's God's kingdom that's playing out, and we need God's help, our Father's help, aligning our hearts with his kingdom because our hearts don't naturally want to do that. So when we pray our kingdom come, we're looking forward to the day in the future, but right now, today, can you help my heart get on with your kingdom agenda. You're in control. Will you please help me to submit to your authority? And then he continues, give us each day our daily bread. I kind of just skipped to this part of the prayer. Hey God, good morning. Here's everything that I need today. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus said, yes, pray for daily bread. God already knows your heart. Tell him what you need. Let him know. But also, you're also saying, I trust you for these things, but isn't it interesting where daily bread falls? It's not first. It's who we pray into. You're holy. Let your kingdom come. Let, let your will play out in my life. Here's the things I think I need. Can you provide those today? Isn't that interesting where, where it falls? But Jesus says, tell him what you need. Ask him and see how he responds. But then Jesus gets really practical in verse 4. He says, forgive us our sins. Now, daily bread and forgive us our sins, I think are actually connected because, as David Guzik says, it's easy for us to feel like the thing that we need the most is daily bread, but Jesus reminds us the thing that we really need most from our Heavenly Father is forgiveness of our sins because this is why Jesus has come in the first place. So we pray, Father, forgive us and also help us to forgive the way that you forgave us. Help us to forgive others 
in that way. I mean, this is deeply personal. Jesus is saying, you don't just mail your prayers in. Like, you, you do some work with God. You, you let him know and you open your heart to him. And then he finishes with this, and lead us not into temptation. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I don't know why this, this thought came to my mind, but this is, to me, it seems like a P.S., like P.S. God, or if you were talking to God on the phone, oh, 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 oh one more thing before, before we get off the phone. I know me, and I know you know me, and you know how my heart works. Can you please help me to avoid temptation today? Because, man, if it's, if it's out there, I just know my heart's going to go in all these different directions. So, Father, can you lead us not into temptation? So think of what Jesus is doing. He's saying when you, when you begin, you pray to your heavenly Father and all the things, and then before you, before you end... You say, Father, will you protect me? Because Jesus knew, Jesus had experienced the fact that we have an enemy who hates us and hates God. And he wants to distract us and he wants to destroy us. And so Jesus says, don't forget to pray to your heavenly father for protection from temptation and from carrying out evil. So think about what we've learned about prayer. Jesus made prayer a priority. Jesus looked for good places to pray. We can do both of those things. And then Jesus said, here's a pattern that you can follow. You don't have to say the, whole, the same words, but follow this pattern as you engage with God. But there's another thing that I want to show you about prayer that we can learn from Jesus's life. But here's what's really cool about it. It's not what he taught. It's actually what he did. If you go to the end of Luke's gospel, Luke 22. In Luke 22, Jesus is literally wrapping up the Last Supper. And he knows it's his last meal with his disciples. And he knows, he's been telling them this. Like when, when we leave this meal, Jesus knows there's a clock that's starting. And it's just a matter of time before he's gonna be betrayed by a friend. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten and he's going to die. And Jesus knew that, didn't just know he was gonna die. Jesus knew he was gonna die on a cross. He knew the whole plan. And look at what he does. Verse 39, pay attention to the words. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Luke is letting us know that this is a place that Jesus would go to regularly to pray. And when they got there, he told his disciples, pray and pray that, that you do not fall into temptation. But look at what else happens. Verse 41 Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. So Jesus, they're, they're at this place where they would normally pray. And he says, you guys stay here. And then Jesus went over here somewhere. And what does he do? He assumes a certain posture and he begins to pray. Jesus is doing what he had always done, what he had taught them to do. And who does he pray to? Verse 42, Father. And look at what he prays. If you're willing, take this cup from me. Jesus is saying, Father, I know what you know. You know who's coming. You know what's getting ready to happen. If it's possible, can you please get me out of this situation? And here's what's fascinating. Jesus didn't just pray this once. He prayed it three different times. He prayed it, and he went to check on his disciples. And he came back. He prayed the same thing. Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. He prayed it three different times. You ever had something that you pray for over and over and over again, and you wonder if God can hear you? Aren't you comforted in knowing that Jesus prayed prayers like that? get me out of here, God. This is dangerous. This is scary. But look at the last thing he prays. Yet not my will, but your will be done. In his moment of greatest 
human need. Jesus doesn't just do what he taught his disciples to do. Or he, he doesn't just say he does it. He's saying this is how you pray. Effective prayer ends with this line, let your will be done. And so I want to I show you a pattern that I discovered studying Jesus' prayer life. I, I discovered this 10 or 12 years ago. And it just really helps shape the way that I pray based on how Jesus prays. Look at this. When Jesus prayed, he always showed up. He had a certain place or places that he liked to go. And he would look up. He engaged specifically, not just with God, but with his father. And he offered up. He offered up his request. This is what I need. But ultimately, he gave up. He submitted his will to the will of his heavenly father. Now, if you don't hear anything else that I say on prayer today, I hope this is helpful for you because it's been really helpful for me. In fact, I would encourage you to take a picture of it and put it somewhere, put it in your Bible as a reminder of how Jesus prayed because this is the model. This is what he did. If you want to know how to pray, just begin praying and practicing this and then put some words to it. Now, it might be easy for some of us to say, okay, yeah, but maybe Jesus was just going through the motions. Right, like he's Jesus. He's just kind of showing them what to do, but he didn't really need to do that. Well, if you think that, I disagree. Look at verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood. Jesus prayed this prayer so intensely that he began to sweat drops of blood. He wasn't going through the motions. He was pouring his heart out to his heavenly father. And look at the father's response. An angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Did Jesus pray for an angel from heaven to strengthen him? Not from what we can tell. But when he prayed, let your will be done, God said, okay, here's part of my will. I'm going to send someone to strengthen you. Now that should encourage all of us. When we pray, we show up, we look up, we offer up. And when we give up, we can trust God to provide in ways that only he can provide to give us strength or courage to do whatever it is he's calling us to do. So here's a way that I've learned to make this practical. I did, I've been doing this, well, I started doing this several years ago. I set an alarm on my phone that the time will change, but I just put this little note on there. The purpose of this is to show up and to look up and to offer up and to give up. Do I do this perfectly? No, but I refuse to take this alarm off my phone because if I forget what to do, I can just go back to this because it's what Jesus did. And so as we engage in prayer this week, this is my challenge. If you wanna know how to pray and how to pray the way Jesus prayed, find a place, show up. And look up, talk to, engage with your heavenly father, the one that created you, the one that sent his son to save you. And offer up. Tell them what you need. But most importantly, follow Jesus' example and give up. Submit your will to his. That's the key to effective prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, as we close, I want to take some time for us to engage in this prayer. So I'm going to lead you through some prayer prompts. We're not going to hang out here real long, but just long enough for us to get a feel for, okay, I could go do this later. I could do this later today. I could do this tomorrow. I could teach people how to do this. So I'll have prompts up on the screen. I would encourage you, if you need to, fold your hands, close your eyes. If it's helpful to kneel, find a posture that works for you and let's pray through these words 
together. The first one is Jesus' words, our Father in heaven. Just take a moment to acknowledge God is your Father in heaven. Hallowed, holy, sacred is your name, is your character. Put that in your own words. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, let your will be done in my heart, in my home, in our family. Father, give us today and every day the things that we need provide for us in ways that only you can. Father, as much as we think we need daily bread, would you remind us what we really need is forgiveness of our sins through your son, Jesus. And would you help us to forgive the people that have sinned against us? Maybe ask him to bring someone to mind that you know that you need to forgive. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yet not my will, not our will, but your will be done. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being so patient with your followers then and your followers now. And thank you for for showing us how to pray and in words to use. Thank you for teaching us that we can know God is our heavenly father. Father, thank you for allowing us to approach you in that way. For, for some of us, that's a really dangerous word because we don't have good dads. We don't know our dads. We don't want to be like our dads. But Jesus, thank you for saying, well, that might be true, but your heavenly father is not that way. Help us to engage you as, as father. But Jesus, thank you more than, than teaching us. Thank you for showing us. Thank you for not freaking out in the garden. Thank you for inviting your disciples to see you in your moment of greatest need. And thank you for just continuing to be consistent in your character the way that you always are. Would you help us to follow this pattern? To pray the way that you prayed. And I pray that you would give every single one of us 
the delight and the privilege of having someone say, hey, would you teach me to pray the way that you pray? Because it's different. And our response is easy. Oh, that's easy. I'll just show you how to do it the way that Jesus did. Help us to rely on your example, on your model, and teach us to pray. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.